Hello, it is 9 a.m. in New York, 2 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 7 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Schneider Bean from sundaybean.com. I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations, and I'm on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. You know that scene in Jerry Maguire, that 1996 American romantic comedy with Tom Cruise and Renee Zellweger? He walks in and professes his love, and she says, you had me at hello. That is exactly how I felt when I heard the trailer from Amanda Bates' new podcast, The Global Chatter. And I have invited her to join me again on Expat Happy Hour because I believe it is a podcast that is a must listen for anyone living in international life. For those of you who haven't had the pleasure of meeting Amanda, she is the founder and creative director of The Black Expat and podcast host of The Global Chatter. As a third culture kid, Amanda's interest in navigating cross-cultural spaces and identity started young. Her American-born, African-raised perspective continues to influence her as she leads the creative direction of both The Black Expat and her new podcast, committed to telling the stories that need to be told. This episode of Expat Happy Hour is an invitation to listen in on my conversation with Amanda, which happened to take place on election day of the U.S. elections. Looking back at this one-of-a-kind year, taking stock of how this disruption can actually change things for the better, and looking ahead at what's to come. Listen in. All right, so it's my heartfelt pleasure to welcome back Amanda Bates to Expat Happy Hour. Amanda, thank you for being here. Man, I am so glad to come back. I I was excited to be um, invited, but I was really surprised. Like in the back of my mind, we had just talked and then I realized it was like two years ago. So, so much has happened. I know, I know. So we were, we did episode 72. It's called The Black Expat with Amanda Bates. And we talk about the intersection of Black identity and international living. This episode is absolutely a must listen. So if you haven't heard it, episode 72, go back. You're going to hear a ton around why we need to go to bat for each other, why you call it the Black Expat, what your community is all about. So if you haven't listened to it, it is amazing. So check it out. Amanda, I have a confession to make. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I'm having like massive podcast envy. (laughs) Are you really? So here's the thing. I'm going to be really transparent about my objective to have Amanda on today. My objective is to make you listeners listen to Amanda's (laughs) podcast. Um, Amanda came out with a brand new podcast called The Global Chatter. And she had me at the intro, honestly. So um, (laughs) here's a little bit about what Amanda says um, it is. I'll read it off and then we're going to talk a little bit more about it. The Global Chatter is a conversational podcast that provides discussion on international mobility, identity, race, career, and more. Each episode takes a deeper dive on issues related around expatriate experience, especially as it relates to black and brown people 
Come for commentary, stay for laughs. For real, like for real. It is so good. Um, can you tell me, Amanda, why did you start the Global Chatter? Sure. So as you already alluded, I run a community and a site called The Black Expat. Obviously, Black identity and international living is my focus. And one of the things I realized as we were doing stories and interviews and I'm meeting all these amazing people is that I'm having great conversations, but they don't necessarily translate into the written form, right? Um, especially mm -hmm. in a time where people have short attention spans and you know they don't want to read, necessarily read long text. And so I just thought, you know what? I am going to take these awesomely crazy, regular, schmegular people <laughs> and I'm going to let them um, tell their stories in a recorded format. And so... I have intentionally sought out people who, you know, we've either featured on our site as well as there are going to be a lot more newcomers coming up in the next season that you may not know, but they're just doing amazing things and that they are able to really speak from either a Black perspective, Brown perspective, biracial, multiracial, um, because those are the stories that I continue to believe that are not told that should be told. Absolutely. And that's why I believe that everybody should be listening to the global chatter. You said regular people and I instantly wrote it down because I'm like, oh, no way. Like these people are living what I call Olympic level lives. <laughs> oh, my it's God. It's crazy. Like Candy has her daughter speaks a dialect of Japanese. She speaks Patois. And it's like right. she's in a village in the north of Japan. Like, no. <laughs> This is not someone who has the the enclave of an international school community mm -hmm. who gets to speak their regular language every day, et cetera, et cetera. So mm -hmm. it's amazing. But so today, be, besides me forcing you as listeners to go to <laughs> Amanda's podcast and my ratings will now drop because everybody will listen to your podcast <laughs> instead of mine, but it's worth it. Um, I wanted to talk to you, Amanda. Um, let's look back this year honestly has is goes without words right oh my god <laughs> it, it is actually election day in the usa today, <laughs> today. Uh, november 2020 i know and um amanda and i agreed what we're going to do today is we're going to look back on 2020 and then look ahead to 2021 why is it important amanda that we spend some time as a globally minded community looking back yeah, so I think 2020, for me personally, has been a fascinating year just when I when I look at even my own life. So at the at the willingness to be transparent, I'm going to admit I had a big birthday this year. And so it just forced me. I turned 40. Uh, well, not this. Actually, it was the end of last year. So this has been my this is the start of my 40th decade. And my God, what a train wreck. Um, so, so, so when I look back at this year, um, as someone who is always trafficking in, in what's happening globally and, and, and adding race and ethnicity to it, I mean, obviously, we've all been impacted by COVID. And then even when you look at the impact of COVID, how it disproportionately in a lot of communities have affected brown and black and brown communities, that's something I've been looking at. But I think the other thing has, of course, been the response to the George Floyd murder, which yep. just created this groundswell of not just national, but international 
conversation and reaction. And, mm-hmm. and I always say that if you are, if you're a black person in the U S or even a black person somewhere else looking in the U S like, you know, these stories, but I think that because of the backdrop of COVID we've all been forced to focus because we were all at home. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the reason I, I think that even bringing up George Floyd is important. And it's funny, even in the context of my podcast is how much that story was so much in the minds of the black and brown expats that I was talking mm-hmm. to who mm-hmm. were not necessarily American, right? right? Because I think that historically, when it comes to expatriation literature and media, we tend to shy away mm-hmm. from talking about race, ethnicity, and class. Right. But this just became the summer where, you know what? Through social media, people have just said, we're going to talk about it. And so I I personally, and I don't know how you feel, but I know that I personally have been pulled into conversations from all kinds of different areas, including international schools. Right. To really, Absolutely. Yeah. You know what I mean? To really talk about, you know what? We say these diversity things. We, we talk about diversity in the workplace. We talk about diversity in education. We talk about it in our circles. But have we really explored you know, what our communities look like and, and how people are struggling through them. Right. And that's why I appreciate Donatano's work so much yes. about yes. looking at race in um, our international schools and yes. really breaking the myth of a post-racial society. Um, I have, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, I am full disclosure. I feel like I always have to put my creds out there before people are like, what is she talking about? I'm a third culture kid. I'm, <laughs> I'm a product of international schools. So I'm, I'm whatever, but I have always found it really funny when, especially international schools or communities will say, you know, we're like a little United Nations. We've got a little bit of everything and we're mixed and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, yeah. And those countries in the United Nations also sometimes can't stand each other. Like, <laughs> I don't. So even saying that, you know, we have this perfect kumbaya moment and I go, that's how I know you haven't talked to the whatever yeah. the minority is in your school. So it could be the Korean students in an exactly. overwhelmingly different environment. So, so yeah, I, I think that the conversations had to be, had to have been had. And I think that this has forced the conversation. Totally. And this is my theme for 2020 is let's make this the best, worst thing that ever happened to you. Agreed. So, Agreed. um, so my perspective, I, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the first podcast, but you know, I am like the poster child of privilege, right? I'm white, middle-class. Um, I have a passport that, you know, visas are really easy. I'm mm-hmm. straight, et cetera, et cetera. And so this process, when I watch what's happening, even though, you know, I've studied culture, I've studied race, identity, power, context, all that stuff. This is, it is like been a, a train smash of needing to embody those ideas mm-hmm. like on a visceral level. Right. And yeah. this is why I think this is the best thing is it is, it has been a situation where we cannot look away mm-hmm. and um, you can't not feel it into your bones. There are victims in this situation. There are people who are, suffering in this situation. And that's never the price you want to pay for change. Right. 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 However, if there are people who are struggling and suffering, not in vain, right? Let's not this be in vain. 
I can't believe I'm going to say this, but the best thing about, I'm so grateful that Trump has been elected because <laughs> it has, um, it has taken what has been the underbelly uh, all mm-hmm. along yeah. and has made it undeniable. And that's, that's at least the benefit of it. Hopefully we can do more. And I don't disagree with you. I mean, I, I've said that same sentiment to folks that one of the the positives you can sort of take away is that it sort of ripped the mask off. And yeah. I feel like people have a better sense of what they're working with, right? <laughs> instead of mm-hmm. instead of assumption. And the other thing too is as much as I talk about privilege and oppression and 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 all of this. You know, I'm also a person who believes that these are also very fluid, right? So even though you are, yes, you are a white, middle-class female with a Western passport, you know, and with certain access, you could be in another part of the world, right, where some of those become not privileged, right? But they right. become an oppression. Right. And so that's why I think it's important to look at systems, which is why, I, you know, international schools is it's a system, right? right. And so I've, I've always said this, and sometimes when people, you know, they hear this and they get a little nervous, I always say, but here's the thing. You yourself could not be racist. You yourself could not necessarily be exhibiting oppression, but if the system has not been examined, you could still be an agent of it, right? Yeah, Even though you yourself are not racist. And so I think that's the important part is that, and that's what I'm hoping all these discussions do, right? When we look at hiring, recruiting, education, how, you know, support agencies for expats, all of this stuff, are we examining the systems? Exactly. So when you think, I'm going to ask you a really honest question. Okay. Um, We engage, you know, you've got a TCK background, you've been in multiple school systems. Yeah. Um, I see globally mobile life, you know, my work is embedded in people who are in the foreign service or in corporate. Mm-hmm. I do know a ton of people who are like love pats, meaning they, you know, yeah. live abroad and are there, but <laughs> just big picture, right? Like, yeah. um, what is the conversation you think is most important that we start having more of that has been quite quiet in the past? So I, okay. So you preface this with me being a TCK. So actually, this is really funny. I'm going to talk about a conversation I had with some TCKs, which will be coming up in a podcast episode, which may or may not have been recorded, but I'll say it anyway. (laughs) Um, So we were talking about this term global citizen which has mm-hmm. become really popular over the past couple of years, right? Maybe the past mm-hmm. 10 years or so. And th- the thing is the TCKs I were talking to were highly mobile African TCKs. They are now, they are now adults, right? They are mm-hmm. older. They are maybe younger millennials, whatever. They're in their thirties. And I, we started talking about this term global citizen. And I remember one of them said to me, I don't use that term. It's a lie. And I was like, tell me more. And she said, look, here's the deal. When she was a kid, probably a product of eight international schools, father worked for the UN, all this other stuff, right? When she decided to Mm -hmm. go to college, she went in Europe. That's great. Whatever. But then once her term in Europe and in university ended, she struggled to stay there. And it was Mm -hmm. five years of emotional and dramatic toll And she finally went back to her African country. And she said, look, global citizenship is only for those who have access. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's only for those who have the ability and the passport to move. And think about it. If we're third culture kids and we're told we're highly mobile and then I can't go anywhere, it's like death. Right. And so she said, she said, I don't want to use a term when let's be honest, 
there are real borders. And that term does not allow me to go all the places I do want to go to. Right. And so I think that even this term global citizenship, I started really thinking about who's using it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if you've ever paid attention to, I mean, even within third culture kids, I don't know if you've ever really paid attention to who's using it because both of them are in countries where uh, one she's originally from, one's from Zimbabwe and the other's from Senegal. Well-traveled, you know, nondescript American accents have never been to the U.S., which I also thought was really funny. Um, Mm -hmm because of access. And so I think that that's a term that we have to really reevaluate this. We're, we're creating global citizens. Cause I don't, I don't know if we, it's always been a nebulous term to me right. and I don't know if we've ever attached it to anything with real meaning, except for that. It sounds nice. It sounds cool. Right. And so the thing about this is if you're told growing up, I think we have to be really careful, especially in the international school system. If we're told, you know, you, you are global citizens and all of that. And then all of a sudden you can't move anywhere. It's like you're doing something wrong. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Right. And right. Or, you know, I don't know. I didn't grow up as a TCK, but I'm guessing if I am taught everything is kumbaya and then I get out there and I'm going to say in air quotes, the real world. Now I am confronted with massive, yes. you know, uh, confrontation of history and power and identity questioning that you weren't prepared for. And I, I will say that's, that's the conversation I'm having with some school counselors now, right? So Ryan, yeah. Ryan Haynes, uh, which I met through Families in Global Transition, awesome. He was also on a recent episode. Um, mm. We talked about this. And when, when the George Floyd situation happened, he's over at Taipei American School. He said, look, we were really thinking about diversity. We were really thinking about how to push the conversation. And then what happened is George Floyd happened. And then our alumni started writing. And Mm -hmm. they started writing about their experiences. And he tells the story of a young man in terms of his own identity coming to the United States and all of us for college, because let's be honest, we're pushing Mm -hmm. most of these students to go to university and they're probably going to go to university in the West. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so he talked about how he was confronted with all of a sudden he had a certain identity that he never had or was even addressed mm-hmm. when he was in the international school. And, and this young man wasn't black. He was actually, a, he was biracial, Asian and white. Mm-hmm. And so we start to have this conversation that I have always thought has been important is even with support agencies, even with schools, how do we prepare students for the reality of if they're going back into their home countries or if they're going into Western nations for school, mm-hmm. what they're going to confront? Because right. they're going to confront something. Right. Uh, the only situation that I can relate to that is when I got to women's studies in college mm-hmm. and um, I, I, I started learning all of this stuff that was never told to me in mm-hmm. upbringing. And I just felt like, where in the hell has all this information been? Like, why didn't anybody <laughs> tell me earlier? Like, are you kidding me? Like, I was pissed, you know? And it's the same thing about whitewashing of history now, you know? It's just like, what in the hell? <laughs> oh, I mean, and you know, what's, you know what's really crazy about this conversation and really deconstructing what you know is I, I was speaking to a group which was predominantly faith-based, you know, Christian-based, and um, we're talking about TCKs and I was talking about racism. <laughs> And the audience is mostly white. And people ask, what you know, how, how can we prepare, you know, for TCKs coming from abroad? We're coming into our communities in the States. And I said, well, I think you also need to examine your church culture. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Because black church culture is very different from white church culture in this country. And there's a mm-hmm. reason for that because there's a history attached to it that you might have to examine. And mm-hmm. so I think any of these things that we choose to do, regardless of the context, is we need to actually understand the beginning and the end. Like, why are we where we are, wherever we are? And then mm-hmm. figure out how do we create processes and systems to support those who are coming in through the pipeline? Because it's just not enough to say we've prepared you for this global world because I, I don't think we have, not in the way that mm-hmm. we think we have. Mm-hmm. And kind of what I'm hearing from you is, you know, as a parent, I take responsibility for my kids and, for sure. you know, you know, how do they see the world? How do they see themselves in relation to others and all of that complexity? Yeah. And if I, if I'm doing that on my own with systems that are actually might be counter to the things I'm trying to teach. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it really makes the job a lot harder. Yeah. Um, so where do I mean, what would you advise? I don't even know. Do you do this? Do you advise <laughs> international schools professionally? What would you advise? Where do they begin? I don't. The thing is, I so I am an educator. I'm in higher ed and I I I don't officially, but I've had more questions lately about this. I've said, here's the deal. I mean, with enough schools that have just emailed me and said, hey, we're trying to do this. What are your thoughts? I I have a pretty general answer. Start with your accreditation boards. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because there's still some schools that are, there are plenty of schools that are still resistant. There are some amazing teachers of color in international schools Mm -hmm. that are pushing, like I'm talking pushing and teaching Mm -hmm. and have the training. But there are still plenty of schools that say, well, we don't have that problem, right? And or they Mm -hmm. might say, that's an American problem. And Mm -hmm. I always say, no, just make the accrediting body say, you know what, you do need to go and and examine your biases. You do need to examine how you're supporting students and families. You need to examine your language. And when when the accrediting bodies say that, the schools then have to do it because I think that's how you prepare true global citizens, if we're going to use that term, is have an acknowledgement that the world, we're, that the world, there's an idealized version we have of the world, but then we also need to be prepared for the reality of the world. Mm-hmm. That's probably where Excellent. I would start. That's a great place to start. And what would you advise to families, regardless of what the institutions are doing? How do families, uh, w- regardless of their positionality, how do yeah. how do you think they should be showing up in international schools? Well, I think it's important for families to know who's in their network, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think that if if you've got a minority family and that's minority, however it's defined in your community, I think mm-hmm. just checking in on them and making sure stuff is okay. Because sometimes mm-hmm. it, it's isolating when you're all minorities, but then you're a minority within a minority. So whether that mm-hmm. Indian family, that Korean family, that Black family, knowing that you are support for them, I think that I think that parents naturally gravitate towards each other because you have children that are in the same space, and I think that collectively parents have power. And if you look at the curriculum and you're looking at the programming and you're looking at the environment and you're noticing, hey, so folks are being left out. How can we make this a more inclusive space? And and you really unify, I think, in terms of, of that parent collective. There's so much you can change. And, and I think that it doesn't just have to be within the school space. I think it could be also whatever your social networks are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And that was one of the things that I took away from our conversation in our original episode is how, um, how proactive am I about checking in on people, right? Like, 
that's a real, a real. I mean, thing. look, COVID should have taught you how to do this. <laughs> because... <laughs> no, I say these things. And we were like, that's so radical. I'm like, no, it's, it actually takes two seconds. Like we've been in the middle of a pandemic. I don't know. I, you know what? I'm in the U S so our methods of isolation have varied <laughs> depending right. on state, but you know, I know that I was checking on people constantly, right, on a regular schedule just to make sure they were okay. Like, sometimes it just takes that. It's not even this massive radical shift. It's just, yep. I see you, I hear you, I care about you. That's exactly. all. So let's go to COVID for a second. Um, oh, God. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. You know, our community is defined by mobility. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's like... We just took the mobile out of globally mobile, you know? Right. So, so we're all local right now. Yeah. Oh man. So every, people are getting, you know, impacted in, in disparate ways. Right. Yeah. Um, for me, what I'm noticing is everything that everything is amplified mm -hmm. because all the other distractions are taken away. Mm -hmm. And now you're like, well, there's <laughs> the mirror. Go look in it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or there's your partner <laughs> or right. there's your financial situation, whatever right. it is, right? <laughs> there's your toddler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You start to look away. So what are you noticing in your community? How are people being impacted? What's working? What's not working? So I work in higher ed and uh, <laughs> I'm not going to put my school on blast. Uh, our undergrads came back for a whopping 10 days before oh. there was an explosion in the fall. And they said, yeah, got to go back home. Um, I, you know, there's a lot. I mean, even when I think about students, and especially in the context of international mobility, we have a lot of folks who travel and go abroad. And, and, and you know what? If you're going to say a prayer for folks in higher ed, and there's a lot of people you need to say a prayer for, you need to say one for the study abroad international ed people. Because oh. the impact, the financial impact, the impact on students and programs, the impact on organizations has been wild. And I, you know, we're all impacted whether we move or not, whether we travel or not. And, and I think that the thing that I try to stay encouraged by is that we're, we're all collectively going through this. So how can I be better? And how mm -hmm. can I be supportive? Because I think, I think whenever you have any kind of crisis, <laughs> you can weather it. If at least someone is like, okay, this is, this is insane, <laughs> mm -hmm. but let's be insane right. together. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, right. And, and right. so that's the way I look at it. But I even think about, you know, we're an institution that has international students that come and go. And, and, and even within the ed world, I hate to bring politics in it. There's been a massive impact because of this administration, which a lot of people don't know <laughs> outside mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. higher ed, right. Um, right. in terms of people looking to come to the U.S., study in the U.S., reside in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And I just, I am so hoping for a reset <laughs> in, in mm -hmm. the next few mm -hmm. months, because I think we all kind of deserve it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is the thing I have to say, the the benefits of a crisis is it does bring people together in community. Yes. Um, and it helps people who haven't been raised in crisis related communities mm -hmm. um, to, to develop new strategies. I was just talking to a friend about this, that when I think about how COVID has impacted me and my, my peers, let's say mm -hmm. it's, it, the, we're developing um, skills that some communities have had 
for centuries, yeah. right? Like if I think about Burkina Faso, yeah. everybody always says Savale. Yeah. Savale. It's like it has to ale because if it doesn't, <laughs> right, right. it's the alternative, right? Right. You know, you could die of malaria in three days. For sure. For sure. You know, there's so much uncertainty. Um, you know, one accident with your moto, there's so much uncertainty. So many communities who've, who have, who again, have had the privilege of not having to deal with uncertainty suddenly are. And so it's not, I mean, there's, there are communities on our planet who are really well equipped to handle this level of uncertainty because they've been doing it for centuries. And it's funny, you're, you're talking about it. And I'm thinking about my own childhood growing up you know, half of it was in the U.S., half of it was in sub-Saharan Africa. And I was like, oh my God, she's so right. Because people have asked me why I've been Zen through all of this. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, I've had malaria multiple times. I've lived in a country that's had like a massive health crisis. I lived in a country that had a couple coup attempts. Like, like I, so even with the election, everyone's freaking out. And I'm like, you know, once you've lived through political unrest in I don't know the developing mm-hmm. world <laughs> yeah you don't you don't get so unnerved and you're right I it is amazing how much I think resiliency I have built up as a result mm-hmm. of my own international mobility oh yeah my son when he was I don't know five or six, I'm like, honey, I'm going to have to pick you up from soccer because the president has been kidnapped. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, there was an attempted, yeah, there was an attempted coup d'etat. So we're just going to play at home today. Right. Uh, Right. (laughs) Never mind that the border's closed and your father is in another country. That was my, oh my gosh, that was me in seventh grade, seventh grade. They're like, (laughs) you know, you don't do the hurricane drills. You do what to do in case the rebels take the president and you need to leave the country. Trails. And so, oh my god! I think all my, my all my homegrown American friends are looking at me like, "Aren't you nervous if there's civil unrest?" I was like, "Please, I have a plan. <laughs> I've always had a plan. I y'all will be shocked. You won't see me because I've got a plan." <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was like when we told my kids that we were going to um, go to Switzerland and wait out. We we were in Switzerland for a lot longer than we thought. We were there for of six course. months. We were going to go there and just wait out the peak a little bit and see how things turned out. And <laughs> okay. we like told them the night before, you know, like we're like, oh, by the way, like we're going to probably get on a plane tomorrow. And I packed on Saturday morning. We flew out Saturday afternoon, like you Friday, go. you know, and and I only say that because I have have built um, built this over several experiences and that was a hot mess hot mess during my first experience right Right. so I'm not saying I have any competencies like they were built out of absolute necessity fear straight fear yeah straight fear anxiety fear you know I didn't even know what anxiety was until I felt it in my body I was like oh that's anxiety (laughs) so I'm just saying that was hard-earned um yeah, I don't even know where we're going with it. I think I, one thing I, I could say is we can reach out in our communities with people that we care about, people that we know. Yeah. Maybe they can support if you have never had to deal with this level of uncertainty. Maybe your friends yeah. who have have some tips and ideas, um, words of wisdom uh, that you could benefit from. Um, also, I think um, what I always think about is when I look at communities that grow up in those contexts, I have, I just see them as like pillars of strength. Yeah. Yeah. Like these are your people that you know that you can count on because they've built their competencies out of necessity over decades. And I, I will say to add on to that, 
when you look at this election, and we've heard a lot of rhetoric and swirling around, when you look at particularly Black America, it's a little bit different than I think the way white of America is responding to everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. And it's because of generational history in this country. And they'll tell you, look, oh, we yeah. survived slavery. We survived Jim Crow reconstruction. Mm-hmm. We survived the civil rights drama and we're going to survive this. And you're right. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. It's just like, how can you oversee some of the best equipped, strongest individuals, right? That's what's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So we've looked back, um, but let's look ahead. Like one of the things that I've heard from my clients, I do this thing called year of transformation. Mm -hmm. And one of my clients was like, God, I don't know Sunday. I I don't know. How do I, how do I plan for the year ahead? Like she, she, you know, she was like, I don't know if I can do this. This is a whole, like, how do I plan for tomorrow, let alone a whole year? Um, so looking ahead, how dare, how far dare we look? <laughs> how far do I? Okay. So also full disclosure, I am a counselor. <laughs> so my brain is always, I always start with a miracle question. What do you think's perfect scenario for you? Right. And work mm-hmm. backwards. So for me, I look at 2021 and I say, okay, what is the opportunity that's awaiting for me? Mm-hmm. We're so focused right now on the negative and my God, there's been a lot of negative, but there's also opportunity. And so I think mm-hmm. you take it bite size. I think you say 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and you take it a full year and you mm-hmm. figure out what can I accomplish that I'm going to be proud of when 2021 ends. Doesn't mm-hmm. mean 2021 is not going to have challenges, does not mean it's not going to have any kind of drama, but it does give you bite-sized goals to work towards because I think we all need some kind of goals and guardrail. Otherwise, we're just kind of floating out there feeling like, I don't even know what I should be doing because it's, it all looks crazy. And I'm like, no, no, you need to find mm-hmm. the opportunity. And so, yeah. you know, for me, what I look at is I'm excited about the things that are going to happen with the Black expat and our storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited. I love, this is why I love storytelling. I'm sure you're in the same boat is that I get so much energy hearing from what other people are doing that it makes yeah. me want to be better. Yeah, totally. Totally. My clients, oh my God, they make me such a better person. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Right. Right. Because people are showing up courageously in their life every day. It's like, how can you not want to do the same? And and you also want to be worthy of their respect, right? Because you're you're working with people and they're they're looking towards you as some kind of expert, which is always kind of laughable. And you at least want to earn that. And so, yeah, I love clients and I love, I love supporters and I love our audience. Yeah. I love, I think you and I are on the same page. It's, I always say, take control where you do have control and let go of it where you don't. And, um, when people say they're, they're not taking any action because they're waiting to see what happens. I think there is a little bit of an excuse there, right? Mm -hmm. Like there is parts that we can't control, but there's a ton that we can control. Um, and that's how well we take care of ourselves. I think right now, I don't know about you, but I feel like around end of October, people were kind of finally realizing like, oh, this is going to be right. the same in 2021. So it's right. a perfect time for us to think about what do we want to, how do we want to move into 2021 differently? There you go. Um, You're better prepared. In- in new ways. Absolutely. Oh my God. I love it. So thank you so much, Amanda, for joining me. It's been, I mean, my face hurts from smiling. I knew that was going to (laughs) happen. Well, you know, I I always love coming on this thing. You and I have like some of the best conversations anywhere. Oh God. It's so fun. So any last words of wisdom that you have for people? I mean, we talked about some big stuff, like globally huge stuff. Any last words of wisdom that you have for our listeners? 
Sure. I, that's basically what's an abbreviation of what's up on my Facebook page right now due to the election. Uh, let's be kind to each other. Um, mm-hmm. Let's be super kind. Let's listen. Let's take a deep breath and and let's mm-hmm. figure out collectively how we can be better in our communities and in our spaces. Totally. Yep. Amanda Bates, y'all from the Black Expat. Go check out her podcast ASAP. It is so worth it. Amanda, thank you for being here. Thank it's you. Thank you. Pleasure. What a thought-provoking episode with Amanda Bates. Always a pleasure to have her on Expat Happy Hour. You have been listening to Expat Happy Hour with Sunday Bean. Thank you for listening. I worked to find a quote that could summarize the immensity of looking back on 2020 and looking ahead to 2021. And the best fit, I think, comes from Paulo Coelho, who says, life has many ways of testing a person's will either by having nothing happen at all or by having everything happen all at once. Um.